Hey, Lou, how's it going? Yes, you you are the oats to my hall. Hashtag 80s reference. Very nice. I hope we can sing just as, you know, just as good, if not better. We'll, we'll see. Yes. Because you have the talent, sir, but then I just have the sex appeal. Well, okay. Yeah, exactly. That's it right there. Hey, at least I got something going for me. But, uh, actually... Hey, at, least I, hey, at least I didn't call you Paul Simon, man. Well, I'll, I'll give you that one. But, um... <laughs> but we have so, we have a guest with us tonight on Longbow Hunters The Hero Podcast. Uh, we have a longtime fan and follower and, well, friend of myself. Hello, Internet Peoples. Internet Peoples, hello. I'm Jay-Z Cost. Yes. Jay, it's it's great to have you here. Uh, this is actually the first time I've ever heard Jay's voice, so this is actually very uh, know, yeah. very interesting to me, at least. It, for me too, man. I'm I'm so used to you and Wu just talking at me at the podcast, and now I'm gonna have to actually contribute to this, so it's gonna be a little weird. <laughs> you're not you're not Andy, Jay. You're not Andy. We don't talk at you. That's Andy's show. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's him. <laughs> But, um, this is going to be a total anti-bashing session tonight, isn't it? But isn't it always? It's okay. It's okay. It happens. But, um, yeah, on this episode of Longbow Hunters, guys, we will be covering the 20th episode of Arrow, entitled Home Invasion, and the 29th digital comic book chapter, entitled Shadow of the Past. And before we get into that, uh, Wu, can you tell us what video game came out this week? Mansion? No, 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 no. That, that was, was like 20 years ago. Um, I love that game. No, they re-released it for the 3DS. Come on, Michael, keep up with the times, man. Dude, my mom's never let me have video games, so I just, I don't even care. See, this Except is why this you're one. oats. This is why you're oats and I am Hall. Oh my god. No, um, DC, DC Universe, um, Injustice came out this week on the PS3, the brand new Wii U, and the Xbox 360. This game, Injustice Gods Among Us, for all you Arrow fans out there, is there's actually an Arrow skin for the Green Arrow character where you can actually uh, make him look like Stephen Mel's version of Arrow from the hit TV series Arrow, which we clearly cover on this podcast. So, which is very cool. And you know what? I believe he's also voiced by Stephen Amell. Yes, that's no, that skin not. is. No, the skin is Wu. The yeah, skin is voiced yeah, by Stephen Amell. Yes. Yeah, the, yeah, that's well, what I was gonna say. The, the, the green arrow that is in the game with that, that isn't that skin. Is another guy? It actually sounds more like the Justice League Unlimited. It's actually, arrow, it's actually, actually Alan Tudek who voices Green Arrow in the video yeah, game. But when you get the, uh, no way. yeah, it is. That's awesome. But when you get the arrow skin, it's Stephen Amell, and he does the voice. And unfortunately, according to good friend of ours, Alex Lynch. He uh he doesn't end up saying you have failed the city. He goes he go he tells me the other day he goes it was a real missed opportunity there. It's kind of disappointing. So, but it hey, was, man. that should have been his opening line. Exactly, that's how he should should have totally done his super move at the end. 
you have failed this city, and then just shoot the guy with the arrow. Done. You know, you know what would have been better? He should have said, watch my show Wednesday nights on the CW. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, promotional plug right blatant, there. Like the most blatant marketing ploy you could possibly ever do. Watch my show Wednesday night, eat some essential on the CW, then thumbs up and just disappears. Well, and this isn't the first time you either. That's what you can, man. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, and this isn't the first time either where DC has promoted their uh, television programs through video games. Like, with the Arkham uh, Arkham City video games, they had Batman Beyond and Batman the Animated Series skins. And with the Superman Returns video game, I believe they had a Smallville Clark Kent skin as well. So this isn't the first time they've done that, but this is this one has been the most obvious because it not only looks like the character, but it's voiced by the actor as well. Which I thought was actually a really good uh, idea for them to do. And, and you know what? Even... Oh, sorry, Jay. I was just gonna say. Oh, no, uh, no, I, I was thinking. I was thinking. Uh, did they ever do this for uh, for previous uh, DC games where they had maybe people from like Smallville, like maybe Tom Welling or someone else? I don't think they've ever done this before, right? Uh, yeah, I don't think they ever actually did the voice no. as well as the skin. I know they've done the skin at some points, but I don't think they've ever done the voice like they did for this game. Yeah. And... And I think one of the things that I want to mention to you that they're keeping, at least for Batman and Catwoman, and, and even so, even like for the Joker, they're keeping the continuity of Arkham City and Arkham Asylum, uh, the way the characters look in terms of look, they're keeping that the same. And you know no what? Mark Hamill. Yeah. No. No Mark Hamill. That's upsetting. But you know what, Wu? That's not a bad thing, because that's what people nowadays are recognizing in the video games. Yeah. Overall, the story is very very simple, but you get very, um, you can very, you can get into it very well. Jay, have you played it? Uh, I have not played it, actually. Um, I'm, I'm broke right now, so I can't afford the game, but, uh, I've seen, uh, playthroughs on it on YouTube, and I know the story, and I know what happens. And it's, it's pretty well done. It's, it, I like it. Yeah, the only thing that I... Well, it's from the creators of Mortal Kombat. How it's different than Mortal Kombat, though, just from the offset. I haven't played through the entire thing. I will say this, though. Um, there is no rounds. You just play through until one person's, like, out of power. That's like, very cool. So there's no round one. So there's no round one, there's no round two, there's just straight playthrough. And one thing, I, and I think I, I could be wrong, somebody needs to look this one up. I think Adam Baldwin, of all people, does the voice of yes. yes, he does. He is. Yeah. Which so, yeah, is also true. And when I heard his voice, I'm like, that's Adam Baldwin. I knew it right away. Well, and I don't know if you guys yeah, have done this. You can't hide Jay's voice. And I, I don't you know. You can't if... hide Casey's voice. Yes, Casey. But I, I don't know if you guys have done this. Yeah, but... I, I know I have. Um, the actual, all the cinematic cutscenes for the game are actually on YouTube, and there are people on YouTube who have compiled them all into one big hour and a half long movie. I actually spent the fr the first night once the game was released watching the entire thing, and quite frankly, it does really have a good story. And if you don't actually play the game and you just watch the uh, clip scenes all together, it actually feels like a DC animated movie. It does. It really does. Um, the, um, there's not really much more I can say about the game other than it's really good. I will say, though, and this is strictly from Michael, they, they, 
they put Aquaman front and center and made him actually the Aquaman that you love. Yes. The one that looks more like um, King Trident from Little Mermaid. I can't, I can't think of anything else to compare him to, but that, that's what he looks like. And he sounds very much like Aquaman in New 52, which I know you're a big fan of. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Jeff Johns really redefined that character for a more modern context and generation, and I'm glad that they're actually making him like that now in the video games as well. So, they, they've done a well, really Jeff, good job. Well, Jeff Johns, is a, Jeff Johns is a special place in his heart for, like, three characters, four characters, Kal-El, uh, Howard Jordan, Wally West, and, and to an extent, Barry Allen, and Aquaman. Absolutely, he does. Absolutely, he does. I think those are his favorites. And Stargirl, obviously. And Cyborg to extent. And, and Cyborg to an extent, too, because he's, he's very much featured where he wasn't before this. I know you have mixed feelings on that, but, but we may cover that on the DC Nation. I don't know. Yeah, so, I mean, hand, hands down, guys, if you can, if, if you can afford it, buy in Justice Gods Among Us. Support, support not only DC Comics, but support Arrow as well by trying to unlock that Arrow skin. Because, quite honestly, I can't think of any better way, other than purchasing the official merchandise of the show, to do it in a more interactive way, where not only you'll enjoy it, but, I mean, you're still helping support. So, definitely go get that, guys, if you can. Like Wu said, it's available on a bunch of different platforms, so just try it out. Even buy the iOS uh, app version of the game on the iTunes Store, which I actually have. So... Yeah. How is that? Or, or if you're broke like I am, just have someone else buy for you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and how is the how is the mobile version? Because I am the one who I'm the one who told them about that guys. And how is that playing actually? It's not a full game, of course. It's not a full game. It's more of just the fighting stuff. That's basically all, all it is. It's very much like the Batman Arkham City Lockdown uh, iOS game, which I personally really enjoy. But um. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I like the Arkham City Lockdown game better, and th that's just my opinion, but the Injustice game is fun for the iOS, so definitely check that out. Um, and we have one more piece of news, ki kind of sort of news, to cover before we get into the episode, and that is uh, something that's actually very important right now to DC Comics, that being the Green Arrow embargo. And Wu, do you kind of want to explain what that is for us? Are you talking about small is Smallville related, sir? I am. Okay. Um. So, with my partner verifying this, this has been somewhat verified, yes. I believe so, but I think it's more stu subtle than anything else. Wow, we are really giving the our audience a lot of clear answers tonight, aren't we, man? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Going on. Is, uh, and neither and neither do like six million viewers. No, six million. I wish. Um, what I'm talking about for those of you who didn't watch Smallville, Oliver Queen, the AKA the Green Arrow, did appear for about four four years. Right, Michael? Four years off and on. Yep. Four, four years. Four and a half, three, five years. Th three years being a main cast member. Two years being a uh, guest cast member, so I guess it's more of a uh, five years. So five years on the show Smallville that preceded Arrow, and he was on there as a supporting cast member, and he was played by the performer Justin Hartley, who 
Brian Q. Miller. Who's also, an Arrow, also an Arrow writer who wrote the uh, Arrow episode Unfinished Business, which we last covered. That was our last episode. Yes, I can't believe it's been that long. Anyway, um, he has, the character of Oliver Queen Green Arrow has been on in the books Smallville season 11 that Brian Q. Miller wrote for the past few months, but according to DC, not wanting to confuse their audience, this new, this, we'll, we'll call it the new 52 audience for the purposes of this, they didn't want to confuse the new 52 audience, so Oliver Queen will not appear in Smallville. Now, I have to put a little asterisk, that's a good word, asterisk, Jeff Lemire's current Green Arrow one in the New 52, that that doesn't apply to this new embargo because he his version of Green Arrow is more more closely tied to Stephen Amell. The reason why DC did this is because they didn't want to confuse the audience, the New 52 audience, with having two versions of Green Arrow and. For those of you that, that didn't listen to DC Nation last week, which I was a guest on, Michael, you have some very pointed thoughts about this, do you not? No point intended with the arrows. No, I, yeah. Um, yeah, I do. My, I understand to an extent why they decided to do this with the Oliver Queen Green Arrow character. Um, and I guess, I guess our listeners can give us some insight on this later once we, once we explain our feelings and thoughts on it. But I, I don't feel it was fair to Mr. Brian Q. Miller, to the Smallville book, or necessarily to any other writer who wants to write Oliver Queen a certain way to write him as a just dark character. And really, well, this really came about because of Arrow and because of what type of show it was and because of what type of character Oliver was on the series. And not only that, but because of how big the show has become in the last 20 episodes. I was just about to say that, actually. Yeah, and, I was just about to say that. and how much people are enjoying it and how much praise it's getting. They don't want to confuse the audience, which is why Jeff Lemire, I believe, was put on the Green Arrow book in the first place to make it a darker book. Because beforehand, the Green Arrow, the New 52, was written very much like Justin Hartley's Oliver Queen from Smallville. Whereas he's a wisecracking comedian, but also a superhero with a dark past. And a lot of the wisecracking comedian stuff, lighthearted stuff, went away. A lot of that is gone now because of Jeff Lemire's Green Arrow run. And in fact, they've kind of rebooted the reboot of the Green Arrow book. And I think that's all in part due to Arrow, uh, kind of indirectly, but at the same time, very directly. And I think the same is said for Green Arrow in Injustice Gods Among Us as well. A little bit within just as God's among us, but Michael, to DC's credit, and I said this on DC Nation, this is not the first time that DC that DC did this. The first time that I can think of because I've researched this because I have no life and I have no girlfriend. Call me ladies. Kidding, kidding, kidding. He's um, not kidding. The first time the, well, Michael <laughs> Anyway. Oh, the first time DC the first time DC did this was from the success of the George Reeves Superman TV series back in the 50s, the comic book writers matched more of George Reeves' personality to the Superman character. So this is not a total, a total um, new thing that DC, DC did. I can understand, you know, strike when the iron's hot, and pretty much that's why they did what they did. 
Yeah, and I mean, and I get that. In the most recent, the most recent version of this sort of embargo that we've seen outside of Green Arrow was Batman, definitely. Whereas Batman had to be a certain way in all forms of media. But that was kind of broken when they decided to do Batman the Brave and the Bold, where Batman was pretty much the exact opposite of his character in the Dark Knight franchise. And quite frankly, because Smallville isn't as big of a book to normal readers, and it's really a big book just to Smallville fans and to people who are kind of getting into that book just because of the series, I, I think you could still get away with having Oliver Queen Green Arrow in that book in the same personality he's had on the series. And if they're and if Brian K. Miller's ultimate goal is to take him away for a while, so that when he brings him back, he'll be a darker character. I mean, that's fine. But I don't think taking him out completely uh, for the remainder of the series would be a good idea. I can understand wh why they did. And first of all, I and I I don't um, I'll just say it because it won't make sense without without me saying it. I think the only reason that they made Chloe with child in the Smallville books is just to have a reason for them not, for Oliver and for Chloe not be, to not be there. Well, it's also to line up the timeline of finale, though. Yes, but and here's, here's the thing that I will defend DC on in this Green Arrow embargo. Sounds like we're on C-SPAN. Um, I will say they do have a point, though, after watching Arrow for so long and then going and reading Smallville, it is drawing to see Oliver Queen like that in one way than seeing, like, almost 110% different the other way. Yeah. I don't know my math was wrong about that. Yeah, no, and I and I totally get that too. And really, if you combine the Smallville version and the Arrow version of Oliver together, that is who Green Arrow has always been. That is the comics version of Green Arrow. But now they're just trying to strip away the Smallville-like characteristics and do just full-on Arrow oh, and pretty and, much everything. And, and to, well, and to DC's credit, again, I'm going to be on DC's side on this one too. Green Arrow isn't as well known as Kal-El or Bruce Wayne or even Diana Prince. Very like, true. They, and, and with, the, and with the, the success of Arrow, he's in the forefront. But where it's Smallville, he fit whenever he fit. Like, I agree with that. For him. I agree with that. Yeah. I agree with you there. So, like, I think they're going through this initiative because he is a, a in-the-forefront character, and he is in the spotlight for the, for, for the first time in live action by himself in his 71-year 70, history, I think, it, I think it is, like, somewhere close to that. I believe that's so correct, I understand yeah. That so I understand them. I understand them doing it this way, but I also understand. You, I, th I think my I think my podcast partner is like, well, and I'm not gonna totally speak for him. I think he's one of those people that doesn't understand like dramatic change just for the sake of dramatic change. Like, why mess up a good thing here, especially when they're two different things? Well, that's that's how I feel. Why me why mess up something that's so good in one aspect as an arrow? And then have to change everything to match that, especially when it's worked so well with the Smallville audience. I mean, that that's my point. I think that when they do, if if and when they do bring Green Arrow back in the book, he will be a darker character, strictly because of Arrow and because of Jeff Lemire's Green Arrow run. But 
And if they make it work, they make it work. And I'm happy about it at the end. But I don't know if you needed that, I guess is what I'm saying. Here's here's one other other thing that I... um, I want to say about about this as well, and this is for the benefit of the benefit of all, all of our listeners well, listening right now. I have to commend DC for I wasn't a big fan of the relaunch and really the rebranding of DC Comics, really like the rebranding of DC Comics as a whole. I wasn't a huge fan of that, but I will say this. At least they pushed this new initiative, and they went full bore with it. Whereas in the past, when they did it, not not a, not counting like Crisis on Infinite Earths, it wasn't really it wasn't really effective. This they changed the logo of DC Comics, which my partner had mixed feelings about. They changed, they rebooted everything. Yeah, I have to give them credit for that. At least they've stuck with this. The one, you agree? Uh, yeah. I mean, the one the one thing I think that irritated me about that was they rebooted Green Arrow to fit Justin Hartley, and then 17 issues later, they rebooted him again to fit Stephen Amell. And I think if you yeah. were going with that dark approach at the beginning, I think it would have been a much better book, and I think you would you wouldn't have lost as many people on that book as you did. But I am glad in the long run that they are changing it back to this darker personality because we've had that green, that lighthearted Green Arrow for so long that we almost need that new one as we've seen on Arrow. So, I mean, I do see both sides. Don't get me wrong. I just think it's wrong for the fans of Smallville who have been watching it for 10 years to have to not have this character who they kept wanting on the show and now in the comic just because another show starring the same character is doing really well. That's all I'm saying. In in sidebar, um, to to my part, and I think we're going to cover this when we do the finale episode. I think it needs to, but I'll just mention it here. There are some hardcore Smallville fans that just hate this show. Absolutely. They just hate everyone. Absolutely. I've seen people on, like, forums and, like, Twitter say stuff like they don't like the show that... They prefer Smallville, they prefer Justin Hartley and his portrayal of the, of the character of Green Arrow. And uh, my response is pretty much just watch the show, then give your opinion. Yeah, and I'll, I'll mention Smallville again when we get towards the Thea and Roy thing. But sorry guys, we didn't mean that to take that long, but man oh man, I cannot believe it's been almost a month since we've done this, Michael. Yeah, I know, it's, it's kind of insane, but... Uh, now, now that we've lost the majority... I got married three times. I got married three times between oh this, these last three weeks. Once a week. I just had good attorneys, guys. I just had good attorneys. But, um, yeah, now that we've lost the majority of our audience, Jay included, most likely, uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about... Uh, we have an audience? Wait, wait, I'm, back, I'm back, I'm back, what's up? There he is. We have an audience? <laughs> we have an audience? Exactly. Really? Um... <laughs> Anyway, we have an audience. He's right here. Oh yes, audience of one right there. But uh, I guess Andy counts too. I guess Andy counts too. I I guess. Forget about Andy. I can't forget about him. But um, Andy Andy Diggle. Andy Diggle. He's dead. Andy's our producer. He's not our producer. 
Anyway. No, he's our copy boy. Yes, he is. But anyway, we're going to talk about the Arrow episode Home Invasion Now, which was written by Beth Schwartz and Ben Sokolowski, and I butcher that every time. Sorry, dude. And was directed by Ken Fink. Now, before we go any further with this episode, let's get into the opening. Because the opening, I thought, was actually pretty bad. My name is Oliver Queen. Not that opening. <laughs> you know what Come opening I'm talking about. You see, okay, at the beginning of this episode, you really see Diggle for who he is underneath. And I mean, we've seen him as the moral yeah, compass. Well, yeah, outside of physical appearance, like his emotional appearance, like you really see him for who he is. He's really, really pissed. And he wants Deadshot's head. Not not just him dead, he, he really wants him dead. He wants to see him dead and everything. And... This is really different. He doesn't want it to be a quick. Yeah, he doesn't want it to be a quick death, does he? No, and and this is really different from what we've seen of him before. Because before, who was he? He was the moral compass for Oliver. He was telling Oliver what he can and can't do to be a hero. And now Diggle has completely thrown all that out the window. All he wants is this guy dead. Yeah, this right here, this is purely revenge. I've seen some people uh, argue if it's justice or revenge. This is this is hundred percent revenge. If it's if this was justice, you would want Deadshot thrown in jail or whatever. But no, he wants Deadshot, as he said, in a bag. He wants him dead. This is this Diggle wants revenge. Now, Wu, how did you feel when you first saw this part at the beginning? And, uh, well, well, I have to say first of all. Uh, I have to agree with Diggle to a certain degree because how many times has Deadshot been jailed in this continuity? Well, I'll give and you that. He's all, and he's always escaped. But that's in every continuity. Deadshot never is ever held captive. I mean, we saw that in Smallville. We saw that here on Arrow. We see that in the Suicide Squad comic book for DC Comics. We see that everywhere. He's never in one place at a time. Here's here's the thing what I thought about um um Diggle and his it wasn't so much jarring so much is I don't I think that he's always had this in him but with but with the object of his desires and I mean that in a very sick vengeance kind of way like within arm's reach of him like those the, I, I really think uh, another another thing voice of reason was a cover, but really those walls that he put over his emotions uh, that we saw like early on on this season, those things are coming down, and th that's why he's so downtrodden toward the end of the episode for one for one reason. But I, I love, watching this episode on my computer again. I love the cliche of when the heroes say, I always keep my promises, but at the end of the episode, they end up breaking their promise. That happens everywhere. Yeah. It's... Yeah. Yep. Especially on Chuck, right, Jay? That's a queen. Yeah. <laughs> what is this Chuck? Yeah, that, that happens what is much in every show, man. That always happens. What is, what, what is this Chuck? In, oh, the show that should have ended, ended in season three. Okay. <laughs> 
Oh, you are talking to the wrong people oh, right now. How dare you, sir? You, woo, 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 woo. You do realize you are talking to the author of three separate Chuck fanfics, one of which I was written and, into. And Michael, you just have to, you just have to realize you went woo, woo, woo. You just quoted Brian Q. Miller's last week's Smallville. Oh ah, my, so there you go. Oh my gosh. Yes. For the for the record, I was I was in I was in Smallville before Michael Orchard. I just wanted to put that out. It's I don't okay. doubt that, man. I don't doubt. I don't yes. doubt it. It's okay. Yes. I've just seen the <laughs> series three times all the way through, so it's all right. For listeners, I am a fan of Smallville. Just to throw that out there. Yes. Yeah. Great series. You guys, but I, I like the show. Deadshot, or no, no, excuse me. He doesn't come to you. You go to him. That's just how it works. Well, that's the thing with hired hitmen. You, you, you search them out. They don't go to you. Right. Exactly. You're, you're the one. You're the one who needs something. You're so. You're the one who needs something solved and someone killed. They're not. They're just doing it for whatever you're paying them. Yeah, exactly. And I want to get. I want to get to. Um, for first of all, going back to Diggle again. How stupid does Diggle think he is by shooting his handgun at Deadshot? Does he really think he's gonna hit Deadshot from that far away? He probably thinks he's gonna wound him. Yeah, but that goes back to what Jay said. He's so blinded by vengeance. Kind of like Helena in a way. He's so blinded by vengeance. He's not even, he's not tactical Diggle anymore. He's older brother looking for younger brother's killer and he wants payback. Right. Right now, all that's going through 
through his mind is, I want that shot, I want that shot. Nothing else is really going going on up there in his head. Yeah, because, yeah, because if he was, like, just, um, let's just call him normal Diggle, he wouldn't, he wouldn't do something stupid as, like, try to shoot him with a handgun. And here's the, here's the thing that made him so mad at the end of the episode, which I kind of hinted at. He can't take Deadshot by himself. And he proved that in that fight with Deadshot. And that, and that just proves right there. Deadshot's an assassin. He's not going to be taken down that easily. And that's why Diggle has that, partly why he has a look on his face at the end of the, at the end of the episode in the Arrow game. He knows he can't take Deadshot down by himself. And even though I kind of called it, we knew it was going to happen, the reveal of Andy Diggle's name on Deadshot. I think on his collarbone, I think. Yes. Well, and here's the thing, too, Wu. I, I think he definitely did come to the realization that he can't beat Deadshot by himself. But the thing is, he was confident enough to go after Deadshot by himself. I think in his heart, or not in his heart, but in his mind, he thought he could take him. And he couldn't. And, and then he realized... And, and then he used Oliver as a scapegoat by saying, you weren't there, so and I failed. And really, he just failed. Oh, here's another thing. What? Oh, uh, here's, here's another thing. He, he, um, I know he just said, like, uh, it was, it was Diggle who failed, but another, another thing is that he asked Oliver to help him, you know, he's like, yeah, dude, help me out, and Oliver, and Oliver failed him in that, in that sense. That's true. That is but true. I think he's more mad that, that his pride is wounded, that even as good as he is, Deadshot took him down, no problem. I think that's definitely part of it, because like you were telling me off-air uh, a while back, Wu, people in Diggle's position in his situation who have been through what he's been through get pretty prideful because of all they've accomplished and overcome. Yeah, and well, look at what Deadshot does to him, and I know we're kind of harping on this, guys, but Deadshot pretty much makes Diggle go down on his knees. Yeah, and bag. Almost. And tells him, and tells him, like, pretty much, and I'm, I'm, I'm using my own words here, boy, you want to kill me? You can't even take me down. You're not even in my league. Well, and I, and I and love then, this part. I love that he doesn't kill Diggle simply because he's not getting paid. He doesn't enjoy killing. Exactly. He doesn't that. enjoy killing. He doesn't enjoy killing. Yeah. He just wants the money for killing someone. He just wants to get paid. Well, because people don't matter to him. People don't matter. That's the way he kind of phrased it. It's like, like, people are nothing, but I won't kill them without being paid. Which is even worse in a way. Yeah, definitely. And this, and I, I don't know if Jay's seen this movie, I know Michael has it. The way Fort Lawton is being played here, it kind of reminds me of Anton Sugar from No, no Country of Old Men. I haven't seen it. Sorry. Very, well, some of our audience will probably get it. He's played by Harvey, Javier Bardon, who was also in Skyfall, which I also saw last week. Um, Great movie. He's very cool. He's very cold and he's very calculated, and it's like, and that's the other reason why Diggle's so so mad. Not only that he couldn't take Deadshot down himself, but Deadshot basically made him. Hey guys, 
Yeah. yeah I'll be right back, alright? Alright? Sounds okay. good. Okay. Okay. Dead Chop pretty much made him eat his own. His own. His own garbage, pretty much. Basically, yeah. And he doesn't yeah. like that because he fa he failed. Like I said, I mean, obviously Oliver failed him to an extent by going after uh, the other bad guy before going after Deadshot. But at the same time, Diggle was rash enough to go up there by himself and think he could win. Which, uh, which, obvi which obviously he, he couldn't, but oh, the reason why Oliver wasn't there is because of this storyline involving um, some people that Laurel was trying to help. Isn't that right, Michael? Uh, yes, that is correct, and, oh man, I forget their names, but, the, uh, shoot, that actually is really disappointing. But yes, there's uh, a... Hold on. You, you want to find them? All hold right. on. All right, you find them. I'm, 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 I'm looking through it. Just, just, um, say, say what, um, the villain's name is. Well, that was, Yeah. Anyway, there's this hitman villain, this assassin villain named Mr. Blank, and I was wrong earlier off-air. It is Blank, not Black. Mr. Blank is basically a hitman for hire, but in a more dangerous capacity than Deadshot, I think, because he walks right up to his victims, no problem, and kills them. And basically, he kills this husband and wife right in front of their child named Taylor, and the child does end up escaping and gets to Laurel and is fine, but... He kills this child's family right in front of him in a very, very similar to a Bruce Wayne uh, Batman capacity, I think. Well, here's the difference between. Uh, I, I knew that was going to come up sooner or later. Here's the difference, though. Like, his, fa his family was killed right in front of him, yeah. But he wasn't left. Like, he actually has family that consoles him later. Yeah, no, absolutely, 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 there is a difference, there's a big difference, but it's a similar fashion of a young boy being orphaned and seeing his parents gunned down right in front of him, and it's really, it really is which terrible. Never which never happens in D.C., orphans in D.C., really? No. <laughs> yeah, so, Mr. Blank, to me, he's a very interesting villain because we don't know much about him. We know he doesn't want people to know much about him. He, we know that he'll kill anyone who's seen his face who would be able to recognize him and point him out. And we know that, I mean, he's a skilled fighter. As we see him fight Oliver at the, near the end of the episode, he knows what he's doing. The Moore family. I don't know, I don't know their first names, but the, the family's called the Moore family. Okay, yeah, the Moore family. So... Taylor Moore is the uh, little child who survives, who's about, like, eight years old, I believe. So, yeah. it's it's a very sad situation. But him and Tommy have a really great moment. I think that was Colin Donald's um, best, best performance of the series so far. I completely agree with this is. This is where he showed his dramatic chops, and I, and I think one of the reasons, or I even even think the main reason why they did this story with this little kid, well, first of all, Laurel, Laurel, like, volunteers to be, um, Taylor's temporary guardian until his grandparents come back from Australia, which I thought was a really nice, cool moment, um, I, going 
when his mother was murdered, which was explained earlier this season. And really, you you don't only see Taylor, the little kid, tear up. You see Tommy tear up, and you see Laurel tear up. And it is, and in my opinion, and Lou, I completely agree with you. This is definitely Colin Donald's best performance so far as Tommy Merlin. How, how, how this plays in with Oliver, though, is Oliver was going to lunch with Laurel just as friends. It's a, it's a thing friends do that also happen to be soulmates. Yeah, just what they do. <laughs> but she can't do it. She can't do it because of this case. And when Oliver leaves, he runs into the Moore family before they got murdered by Mr. Blank, who really is like the Boba Fett. He really reminds me of Boba Fett. Doesn't really say much. Very cold. It's all about getting the job done. Yeah. And and those are the most dangerous hitmen, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Is the ones who just show no well, emotion, don't care, do their job, get paid, and are gone. Well, I think Chip John said it best on, like, a Smallville feature. You have charismatic villains like Scarecrow, the Joker, that are very charismatic. You love to watch. Then there, then there are people like General Zod from Superman, Deadshot, and, and this character, Mr. Blade, that are just so cold. Like, if they look at you, you freeze. Like, you literally, like, die of a heart attack because they're just so cold. Yeah. And calculating. Yeah, absolutely. And that's really what we get to see here. And quite honestly, I was kind of upset that Oliver killed him in the episode. And I know that's jumping ahead, but I was really upset that he actually died because I could have seen him as a villain, as a recurring villain throughout the series. And I think he would have been a really interesting opponent, not only for Oliver, but for, or not only for Arrow, but for Oliver as well, because now he knows what Oliver can do. And he could, he could have potentially gone after Oliver or his family at some point later in the series. And I think that would have been made for a very interesting story. So I, I was kind of disappointed but, that but, he died. But, but, you know, but you know what, though? It, it, it's kind of cl- a cliche with WB and slash CW shows that they, purpo- that, they purposely, that they purposely don't kill these people because they want them to come back. I thought that, that I was getting a little tired, if you want me to be completely honest. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I don't know. I want I want to mind him coming back. But here's here's why here's why I say that though. It's okay to do that every once in a while, like like with Helena earlier this season. But every single guest villain you have, really? Right. Right. That is that is a little much, I guess. I don't know. disagree completely but at the same time i don't know i i, I think he would have been a cool villain to have yeah but going back, i i agree and by the way jay august richards for our just Whedon listeners here he was charles gunn from seasons one through five on the show angel and he and i know michael's not familiar with him but he really can play dark and scary and look good in his suit, especially in the fifth season of Angel. But one thing that I wanted to say, going back to Laurel and Laurel and Oliver, and this was a great thing that Cassidy did. That was that's a great thing that Kate Cassidy did. She has love she has attraction in her eyes when she's with Tommy, but look how 
when she lights up in the hallway when she's with Oliver. Did you notice that? I did. I, I definitely did notice that. Like how, like how, like, oh, I mean, literally, like, when they're in the, in the hallway, like, when she just sees him in the hallway, she, she glows. Like, she literally is, like, glowing. And we haven't really seen that from Katie Cassidy in the series, have we? No, we really haven't seen her like that at all. But no, I definitely agree with you. I think we definitely do see more of a glow with her in um when she's with Oliver because I think she understands completely how he cares about her and why he cares about her. What I, and what I want to like um add on to what I said earlier that is the the reason why she lights up like that is and Andy's gonna appreciate this this more than anybody because I use this a lot in our Glee podcast. Laurel and Oliver, at least in this universe, the Arrow universe, let's call it, they're endgame. And this leads into why um, Tommy does what he does at the end of the episode. But, Jay, Jay, what are your thoughts on Laurel and Oliver? Well, um, like like you said, the endgame is, you know, it's going to be the two of them that are them together, so, um, and yeah, I do think Tommy did the right thing in the episode, I mean, he did it, I also love Colin Donald, his reaction when he's walking away from the apartment, his, his uh, face was just so expressive, and I really like that, yeah, yeah. Um, it, was, it was hard for him to do that, but, but even, but even with, going back to the Lord Oliver thing, and then we'll get to, because we kind of covered Tommy and the kid in the notes, but one thing, oh, that, okay. uh, the one, the, well, we covered it while you were while you were away. Did you did you want to any did you want to say anything about that? Well, again, I mean, go back to time. I thought he was really good in that episode, and with him, the kid, I thought that was really good. You know, him talking about uh, you know, him trying to comfort him and his parents passing. Yeah, Michael, 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 I said that was the that was the um best performance of Colin Donald in um, this season so far. It really was. Um, um, one, one more thing about Oliver and Laurel. It doesn't help that Moira is like sitting on the couch with her drinking cocoa going through like Laurel and Oliver's past in like photo form. Yeah, that's what I'm really like, what are you doing? <laughs> well, cl- I mean, clearly... I mean, see right there. Yeah, and I mean, clearly, she's she is thinking about Oliver. She continues to think about Oliver, even when she's with Tommy. And I think she does realize that, like Wu and I, we've, we've talked about before, that Tommy and Laurel's relationship is destined to fail. And it, it fails at the end of this episode. Their relationship has failed the series. Well, well I don't think it failed so much as, like, I don't, I don't want to, well, I'm going to use a less, a less harsher term than I was going to use. Like, Tommy ends it before it gets even worse. Yeah, but I mean, it's it still, it still failed in the aspect of Laurel still has feelings for Oliver, and those feelings for Oliver are stronger than her feelings for Tommy, and Tommy realizes that, and Tommy realizes that ultimately, at the end of the day, Oliver loves her as well. And he can't have her 
because she's so focused on Oliver or the Hood, who are the same person, that she's le- so so much less focused on him. And we're going to see that. And, and we're going to see that continue to grow. The only one that really, and Tommy's really the only one that knows that too. Like Oliver's in denial about it, and he really doesn't know how strong Laurel's feelings are still for him. Tommy's the only one that knows the full, unedited, true story of Laurel Lance and Oliver Queen. Yes. And 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 I I don't want to believe at this point. But look 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 at the look on her face when um Laurel's in like stuck in the bedroom while Oliver's taking on Mr. Blank the assassin. But all he saw there. Yeah. I don't like, think she would be that concerned for Tommy. Well, in, the, in that tone anyway. Well, maybe in not that, that tone. tone anyway. I I think she would definitely be concerned because she does care for Tommy in her own weird way. But I don't think that tone, like you said, I don't think that tone would have been the same. I don't think it would have been as dramatic. Weird way, weird way, nice, Michael, nice. Well, I'm, I'm just saying, she, I mean, she cares for Tommy, definitely. But like we saw in the digital comic a few weeks back, how much does she really care? She's really just using him to further her own, you know, satisfaction, so to speak. And, and Willis just gets Tommy and Moral and... Uh, one thing I have to say, and this is for both Michael and Jay's um, benefit, I, I spoke, I corresponded with with Blake Neely, the composer of Arrow, on social networking th- through through the past few weeks. We've we've exchanged, you know, we've exchanged information. Well, not exchanged information. We've just exchanged thoughts back and forth. And here's a little. Um, I won't, I won't say exclusive, because maybe he did say this somewhere, but during the Roy and Thea scene at the end of the episode, and the, um, Tommy and Moral breakup scene, the, uh, the original plan for the producers, which I personally, with all due respect to the producers, am not a big fan of, they were going to use, like, a pop song over these two scenes, and they couldn't get the rights, so um, Mr. Blake Neely just put score over it, which, from what I've been hearing by reviewers, is getting rave reviews. So I'm, so obviously that was the right call. And a happy accident that they couldn't get the rights to the pop song. You didn't tell me what pop song it was, and it really, it really doesn't matter in the long run. Yeah. Well, I, I I like his score a lot. I think it really fits the tone of this of the series and of the universe within the series, and I think it really helps enhance, I guess, the dark and depressing, but also heroic themes that we've seen throughout Oliver's life and the rest of their lives. Obviously. Hey, okay, I'm I'm just gonna I'm just gonna play devil's advocate here again. I think that's what should be on my monogram jacket is just devil's advocate. Um, I have to ask you one. I have to ask you guys both this question: Is Laurel really broken-hearted, or is she more shocked that Tommy did this? It's probably both. Because really, she's not fighting it that much. Yeah, I think if she were really brokenhearted about it, she would have totally gone up to him and started grabbing him and hugging him and trying to get him not to leave. But I think she was just more shocked that she was rejected for once. 
Because she rejects other people, she doesn't get rejected. And she got rejected. understand because I myself have been in that situation when I had to make that hard choice and I do understand not wanting to live it one more day because you just can't handle it anymore because he might change his mind because he might change his mind or cower down and not want to do it out of fear of rejection because of it and in a weird sense of rejection or he just may decide to talk himself out of it and I, I, I know, like and I said, I, I've been there and that's not a place you want to be. So you want to end it as soon as possible. And I don't, I don't, I commend Tommy actually for doing it. I, I actually and I, do. And I'm with Jay, and I'm with Jay uh, to some extent too. It's not the best time to do it, but honestly, guys and girls, straight or gay, no matter what you are, what is the best time to break up with somebody really? Or when is the best? That's a good point, but I tell you what. No, I'm saying that's a good point, but I tell you what. That 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 time right there, where where he chose, I don't think was really the best time. Yeah, but it always is in TV. But uh, (laughs) there is no good there is no good time to make up, and there is no time to break up. One thing I will say about Colin Donald again, I have to commend him also for this. I have to commend him also for um, being able to play the, the kind of jealous guy but not going full bore with it. And even, and we've talked a lot about the heavy emotional stuff in this episode between Tommy and, and um, Laurel. I do love the line from him at the police station, or is it CNRI? It's CNRI, when he goes, I spend most of my all my nights, almost my nights are your daughters anyway. That was funny. That probably <laughs> wasn't the best time to tell you that, was it? No. <laughs> in Blackthorn, in, in like, probably not. I, I love the look on Lance's face whenever he hears something like that. He, like, has this annoyed, like, anger face, but at the same time, he's not angry. He's just, like, irritated, like, get away from me. And he just walks away. I love it. It's so funny. And I, and I, Probably playing mommy and daddy to Thea and Roy, that she can't cook. 
Yes. I don't know why I find that so funny, but I so want to see them. Okay, so we're going to get Thanksgiving, so I'm going to make Thanksgiving dinner. No! That... What we mean is, we don't want to see you to spend time in the kitchen because... Do you know here? Because we don't want you to overexert yourself. Yeah, like overexert yourself. What they mean is, you suck at cooking. Well, now that we was played out like the final few episodes of the series, <laughs> I, I, just think that would, I, I just think that would be really funny. I could see that scene in my head. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, ab absolutely. Do we do we want to move on now to to Roy? To Mister to Mister Red Arrow. Well, let, let's go with Arsenal, because if Oliver has to be Arrow and can't even be Green Arrow, he can't be Red Arrow. Okay, okay, hold on, hold on, we'll get to that, we'll get to that. Um, for, I, have to, I have to say, and this is, like, gonna make me sound totally, you know, not, not a full man, but whenever I ever cared about that, I really love the relationship between Thea and Roy. Thea was very I think it's typical. happened very quickly, but it's it's a nice one. Yeah. So nice I mean, it's not, and it's not like on Smallville where that would be the main really the main part of the story. Yeah. If it's a nice side part, go ahead. And, and this we saw in the trailers at Paley Festival and at WonderCon. Roy Roy Harper's obsession to find Green Arrow. And he steals the uh, police radio. He goes to um, the, t the um, Sterling City Police to get a police radio to, s to see when uh, the Green Arrow is going to appear next. They go they and Roy go to the Big Belly Burger, and one of the, one of the one of the one of the most blatant dirty lines so far in the Arrow's history. Is that is that a police radio in your pocket? I'm just happy to see you. Oh my gosh. Was... <laughs> Talk about cliche, Will. Oh, come on, sir. You're the, the king of loving cliche. I'm not going to get into your animated taste right now. Um, but anyway, I love the whole idea that Detective Lance sets this whole thing up, sets this distress call just so that he can arrest Roy for stealing the police from you. Yeah. And I love the, and I love when he calls him and uh, Thea later the Wonder Twins. That just about made but it for me. That was great. That was great. But what I loved about um, Detective Lance, he needs like a squad of police cars just to arrest Roy. Hey, that tells you something. Like really, like really, you need that much. You really, you need that many guys just to arrest one guy that just stole your police radio. Yeah. I the whole the whole thing. Oh, by the way, love the shot of Mr. Blank. He after he killed his client. Um, what was that guy's name again? Oh man, I don't know. Brother. I don't know. I mean, pretty much the way Oliver, the way the, the way Oliver shot, 
Rasmus, thank you. The way he shot him down, he might as well have been Adam Hunt's brother. Yeah. Because it pretty much was like when he, like Oliver, like confronts Rasmus or Green Arrow confronts Rasmus. It pretty much is like that exact same scene from the pilot where Green Arrow hunts down Adam Hunt. But anyway. No pun intended. This is what I told my. Yeah, this is what I told Michael off the microphone. I, I really love Paul Blackthorne's ability to be redeemed by the whole Sarah storyline, but then still come up as a complete jealous D-bag like a couple episodes later. The, what, what, um, Detective Blanche shows Thea and Roy Harper is one of the victims of Green Arrow, and he doesn't go into the specifics, he shows them the actual work of this, of this, of this killed victim by, by Green Arrow, and he does this in such a way where he doesn't say why this guy was killed, he doesn't say, like, who this person was, he doesn't mention any of that, and uh, once again, and this is a credit to Blackthorn. He really made me mad the way he did it. Because the look on his face is a look of um, jealousy and um, and really envy and anger all mixed into one. Yeah. Because ultimately, he wants to be praised. He wants to be praised like Green Arrow is being praised. Yeah. Now he just has a, a poster boy for all of his anger and all of his frustrations that he just wants to take it out on. And honestly, he wants to be Green Arrow, but his moral compass... Quote-unquote moral been, compass. Well, yeah, well, that's the, well, that's the thing. When, when we mentioned this in Honor Thy Father, the, the podcast you and I did, Michael, about this, when a guy has a moral compass like Queen Lance does... And here comes this guy who gets more accomplished by just basically disregarding everything that you stand for. And not only do you, does he get the job done, but he gets praised for it, not only by the public, but by his own daughter. Right. I can understand his jealousy, but, uh, but that, with that being said, it, he really made me mad. He really made me mad. And again, that's a credit to Paul Blackburn, who, by the way, I didn't even know was British until that WonderCon video that I saw on Green Arrow TV. Really? You yeah, can't... the thick British action, accent, dude. Yeah. Oh, you didn't see the video? No, I didn't, but, I mean, you can tell by his last name, first of all. <laughs> yeah, but I don't... Well, I couldn't... I couldn't... I couldn't tell, um... He had, he had a British accent, uh, and just like Jason, such a pronounced British accent at that. Yeah, I kind of knew he wasn't fully American because, I don't know, I'm kind of, I have an ear for accents, but he does a really good one, though. I, I don't know, yeah, he didn't know he was English. Yeah, that's what I, uh, that's what I mean. I, I, I really thought he was American, but anyway, but... I loved Roy Harper's monologue in the streets with Thea. And really, this is Colton Hayden's best performance of the season so far. Yeah. And and here and here is 
and I guess this is a good time to lead into our uh, one of our last points anyway. The the thing about this is, I I personally think they're moving Roy in too fast, and while at the same time trying to move Diggle out. And Dan and I were talking the other night because we went to go see Oblivion, and we were talking uh, afterwards about Arrow and about the episode this week, and and Dan Dan seems to think, and I, I agree with him, that the reason they're trying to force Diggle out in a very subtle way and not so subtle at the end of this episode, but is because they want to bring Roy in and have him ultimately replace Diggle because Roy is getting so much praise and so much hype. And I don't I don't disagree with that assessment because all, all signs point to Diggle either leaving or being downplayed just for Roy to be upplayed and to be in and become a regular next season. Well, here's the problem with Diggle, and, and I didn't realize this until now. Him being such a strong fighting character, like, you can't have him and Oliver on the same team. Oliver needs to be your hero. Yes, but I don't think having him on his side is any problem. I think Diggle is necessary until Oliver builds his own moral compass. I, I can see Felicity being more his like his like Alfred or his moral compass even more than Diggle. But then again, we can say the same thing. Are we saying that because we like Felicity or because she's needed? I'm just saying that because you know what, Felicity's there, but she's not like a fighting force. Like Alfred Pennywood is not a fighting force alongside Batman. I'll give you that one. I don't know, Jay. What do you think? Well, here's my argument about about that. Um, it was an episode, uh, a couple episodes ago, with, with, with the count and uh, all the in the the other one, the, the, his second episode, where he's where Oliver's kind of in the mental hospital. He's kind of tied up, and then Dick comes in and, and saves him. I mean, in that situation, you need someone who can fight. To help you out in that situation, I think that's why he has him with him. Yes, but but he's so great on great on his own. Like I said, like I mean, with John Diggle, he's almost right up on Oliver's level, and I think because of that, I think that's why they're moving Roy Harper in. I'm not hating on John Diggle, but Oliver needs to be your one and only hero. I can see it. I, 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 I get it. Yeah, I can, I can see why they're doing it. And, on, and honestly, this actually makes me think that John Diggle could die at the end of this season. There are a or lot of people. There are a lot of people that could die at the end of the season. Like Thea could die, Diggle could die, Mora could die, and Malcolm could die. And I, I do think Malcolm and Mora for sure are most likely going to die. But Diggle and Thea are definitely a possibility too. Season, if we, if we get to a third season, because like I said, 
Oliver needs to be his own hero by himself. He he can't have somebody stronger than him. And you were you made the argument, Michael, about the whole thing of um of like Oliver Queen not really being established as Green Arrow yet, and what, how can they bring in Red Arrow or Machinist or whatever or whatever you call them? Personal. Like, this is, But I, like I said before, I do think that Diggle's moral compass up until this point has been needed for Oliver because Oliver himself doesn't really have one. I think he had one when he was on the island, but I think because of the island, that went away pretty quickly. And I can see Diggle not being back on Oliver's side until like the middle of season two. But then what are you going to do with him? You can't just have him doing revenge for the next, I don't know, like 12, 15 episodes of the series. Or you could just not have him in every episode. You could have have him, okay, I, I killed Deadshot, but I, hurt, but I hurt Felicity, let's say, for argument's sake. Yeah. Or I, don't or know. I accidentally hurt... Or I accidentally, like, heard Carly or something like that. Yeah. I, I could see that, too. But, you know, and I, I don't think we mentioned this yet. It's something that we talked about off microphone earlier today. Yeah, maybe too soon for Roy and Thea, Roy especially, but at least they're going in the right direction with him. Yeah. At, yeah, they're at, least, they're at least aiming the right way, but... At the same time, don't don't pull the trigger until you fully establish Oliver. Because if Oliver himself it isn't is, fully established, you can't establish another hero alongside him. Kind of like with what but you're here's, saying. But here's the argument that I waited for the show to... And I don't want to be too long on this. I really don't, guys. I'm sorry. One of the things that we are kind of preconditioned from like watching Smallville is... We think that this is an origin story. No, Oliver's already the hero. Right. He just doesn't call himself that yet. And the island is the origin story. Yeah, exactly. The island part of it is the origin story, more so than what's going on in present time. You know, and 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 we're so used to having the things like like um stretched out for the sake of time. Well, that's be well, that's because for one thing, Smallville got renewed when they when they necessarily didn't want to be renewed or never desired to be renewed, but they got renewed anyway. But again, if you have a merciless version of Oliver Queen running around as the Hood and not even as Green Arrow, how can you say he's a fully established hero yet? He's still building. I'm not saying he, I'm not saying fully established. I'm just saying established as Green Arrow. I feel okay, at least with, I feel at least with this series, as long as he's the hood, he's not fully Green Arrow yet. Just like on Smallville where Clark was the blur, he wasn't fully Superman yet, but he was getting there. 
and he was pretty close. But I, but I, need, but I need to make this argument. I've said this like f- five times on this podcast series so far. This isn't small though. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. Yeah. But until we hear the name of the actual su- him being the actual superhero, I won't count him as fully established. Just like the and same thing I, with and Superman. And it's and not even because I'll, it's an I'll origin. Make, and I'll make this case for the sake of argument, then we'll move on to Jacob and Oliver's fall, fall. I think the reason that they're ramping this thing up is they don't know if they're going to have five seasons. Right. So just in case they don't, just in case they say that they only have like three seasons for the sake of argument, that's why they're doing this so soon. But again, with this show not necessarily being an origin story, you can bring more villains to like, to like further the story rather than, okay, your origin story is done, Oliver and Laurel are together, like Oliver's running Queen Consolidated, okay, now what do we do? Okay, he wants to run for mayor, or, or League of Shadows is actually shown up, or something along those lines, just for examples. Yeah. Yeah. But the fallout between Oliver and Jiggle, I was not expecting, but it wasn't totally shocking. I agree. I, I, I didn't expect it. I didn't see it coming. When it happened, I wasn't shocked that it happened, but I was very disappointed in Diggle. And I get to an extent why he did it, but I was still disappointed. But I have to say I'm a little disappointed in Oliver. For the first, like, half of this episode, he said, I keep my promises, I'm gonna help you, but when the love of your life needs your help more more than the person you made a promise to, not saying that I wouldn't do the exact same thing, you broke your promise. Yep. Yeah. I mean, but there's also the fact of Diggle's doing it completely for revenge, and while, yes, Oliver is doing it, in, in a sense, poor Laurel. He's also doing it for justice. Whereas Diggle but, is fully but Michael, yeah. but Michael, let's look at it this way. How many times has Oliver jerked Diggle around this season? Even before he found out Oliver's secret? Yeah, I know. I know. But remember, Diggle did the exact same thing to him last episode. And Oliver didn't run him out. All, all I'm saying, I'm, gi- I'm giving John Diggle a pass on this one. From the, from the, from the ditching him earlier on this season to the hell on this stuff to, to, like being unwilling to to get off the list to this stuff and breaking his promise. I don't blame John Diggle for doing what he did. I give him a pass. But the only let's think about this too. The only reason he did what he did. It's because he didn't get his way. He didn't get this guy dead. This time. And he knows he can't do it alone. He knows he can't do it alone. So why is he running away? He's running away because he knows Oliver won't be able to help him. And it's unfair for Diggle to ask Oliver to help him when he has his own mission. But Diggle has his own mission too. That's why he's going to go off to train, I think, to hunt Deadshot down. Yeah. I, I do think Diggle will come back to Oliver, at, at least at the end of the season. I, do, I don't think that will be a problem or an issue, but I do think that he's going to be away at least at least until the finale, if not if not the episode I, before. I also, 
Um, also, and this is a thought that just came into my head, and we'll get into this before the flashbacks. Um, don't you guys find it kind of ironic that both of Oliver's friendships were basically destroyed and destroyed in present time, and maybe even the even in the flashbacks because of his love life? That's ironic. Yeah. And really, and really, that's very Oliver Queen in the comics. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Like, Laurel is the reason why he's not really good friends with Tommy right now, and Laurel's the, re- the reason why Diggle's not by his side anymore. And, and Laurel's the reason why he's not with Shadow. Well, yeah, well, and... And one thing I... I forgot to mention, Oliver says he's never going to tell Laurel his secret. I don't really necessarily think that's going to be the, the case. Because it's going to take something like the Count again to really unshake Oliver's like hold he has on his emotions to pretty much tell her what is really going on with him. Because you can't bottle that kind of passion, that kind of emotion up in yourself for too long. Just ask Batman. Yeah. Yeah. Like, sooner or later, that's gonna bite him in the butt. But, going into the flashbacks, I loved them this week. I I really liked that they only had one, one storyline. And that's my problem with the flashbacks. Like, I really, I really did... I didn't like that we had A, B story in the present time, then a C, D story in the flashbacks. I like that this was just one clear story with a nice little cliffhanger at the end. But what did you guys think of the flashbacks, Jay and Michael? Take it away, Michael. I I really enjoyed them this week. I, I thought the training of Oliver to use the bow was very good. I thought the re- I think the relationship between him and Shadow, nice nod to the comics, but at the same time, I think we will see that develop, if not th- at the end of this season, next season. I was a little shaken up about why Yao Fei led Fires right to them. I'm, I'm not sure about that, but I, I also trust Yao Fei, not just because Oliver trusts Yao Fei, but because he's never given Oliver a reason not to. And he's always helped him any way he could. Oh, so, okay. so I think I think he has oh, an ace up his sleeve. Helping him by shooting, helping him by shooting him in the back. Yeah, it's a, I want a friend like that. Did you do that for me, Michael? Anytime. Yeah. Me too. I, I don't. I don't <laughs> trust your faith. I, 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 I don't trust your faith as much as Michael does. Anyway, what were your thoughts on but the flashbacks? What were you gonna say, Jay? No, uh, we'll kind of go back to you on to trust him or not. I mean, this is what the uh, what the third or fourth time he's done something like this. Like the first time it was an arrow, second time uh, he captured him and then uh, choked him out and threw him off a cliff, and then this will be the uh, yeah the third time I think that he's kind of uh, be- kind of befriended him and uh, betrayed him in a w- in a way. So I mean, I know I, I think. Can trust him in the in the end, but as soon as he walked into the plane, I knew I knew that what was going to happen next. Yeah. Well, well I kind of I kind of knew it. I kind of I kind of didn't know. And talking about irony again, guys, the one person that's never.
this point is Slade, and how ironic is that going to be later on? Yeah, no kidding. Yep. Like, the one person that has done everything bad to you betrays you at the beginning, but the one person that you've known this entire time to be trustworthy, and I, and this is what I told to Annie Babak off microphone the other day when we were talking about this. I'm sorry, Michael, you haven't seen the episode yet, so I can talk to you about this. I think, and I'm glad they had this in the episode in the flashbacks. I love the idea that not so much a triangle between Slade, Shadow, and Oliver will happen, but I think somewhere down the line, maybe even in the second season next year, there's going to be a situation where Oliver has to choose between Shadow or Slade, and obviously, no problem. Well, not obviously, he'll probably choose Shadow, because who wouldn't choose Shadow? Right. Although, at the same time, she's still keeping stuff from him, whereas Slade has pretty much told him everything he knows. And, and again, it's much like Tommy. It's almost exactly like Tommy. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. But, what, what, what do you guys think? Is this better than... Is this episode as a whole, by the way, I, th- I give it a strong 4 out of 5. Do you think this is better than Burned or the other thing, or the other episodes that we come back from my hand as well? I thought it was, I thought it was strong. I thought it was really strong. That was okay too, yeah. Yeah, I, de- I definitely think so it... 4 out of 5? Yeah. yeah I, I think it a 4, yeah. I think it, it definitely brought us back, brought our attention back to the series and back to the main plot lines. I think next week's is really going to ramp it up, especially with it being called The Undertaking. But, um, yeah, and I'm not seeing the teaser for that yet, so when we, uh, when we get into the te- get into the teasers, uh, get into the um, spoilers, I'm going to have to like get off microphone for a bit. But going to the digital comment, Michael? Well, let, let's first read, read Twitter's thoughts, because we do have to get those in there. Um, first, okay. first off on the list, we have Sean Lard. Who said an amazing? It was an amazing episode, but tragic at the same time. The wife asked me why Tom Tommy was doing all that, and all I could say was "quote unquote" to protect everyone. Which, really, I I believe he was more protecting himself. But I I I get what he's saying. Uh, Bell Review said, "Great fight scene, two breakups, bad bromance, great one-liners, a betrayal cliffhanger, and Wonder Twins reference." good episode uh lauren from tv ever after said loved loved the staircase fight between oliver and mr blank i agree that was probably my favorite part of the episode and i saw and i sighed when i sighed when yalfe betrayed oliver again lol and i could read jay's thoughts but i i, I think i'll just let jay give us skip, skip that guy well, I, sure. skip him. I think I think I'll just let Jay say his last final thoughts on the episode before we move on. So Jay, do you want to tell us our fi- well, your uh, final thoughts? Well, uh, well, I mean, overall the episode was really good. I mean, I really liked it. I mean, I know you guys probably talked about this when I was away, but Mr. Blank, played by uh, Angel in Love, Dragos Richards, I thought he was really good in this episode. I mean, him being this cold assassin, completely different from his character. Uh, gun on angel and i really like that yeah yeah it was it was definitely a good episode definitely worth watching uh even even if you just tuned in randomly to a channel and saw this episode i think you'd be hooked pretty quickly 
And and I'll, and I'll I'll save this for this show. I think they do their comebacks from hiatus on Arrow much better than they do in Smallville. Yeah. Especially with that season ten one collateral. Compared, oh, yeah, compa- compared to Icarus. Yeah. Yeah. But um. Yeah. But anyway. But anyway, digital comic time, guys. Digital comic time. Yes. And uh, this week's uh, digital comic book chapter review is Arrow Chapter 29, Shadow of the Past. And Shadow, yes, is spelled S-H-A-D-O, no W. Shadow is in the name of Shadow. And in this digital chapter, we see the origin of... Shadow. 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 That's how I'm going to pronounce it. Shadow. Sounds good. Uh, This digital chapter, we see the origin of Yahweh's switch. From hero to henchman. As we remember, Wintergreen and Yaofei fought for the second time while Oliver had escaped, and this was when they fought in the woods, but Wintergreen did beat Yaofei at the end of that fight, which was their second fight on screen. Uh, we later see Fires tries to get Yaofei to join him, but when he refuses, he sends Wintergreen off the island to kidnap Yaofei's daughter, Shadow. And once Fires has Shadow in his custody, Yaofei reluctantly accepts working for Fires, only doing so to keep his daughter alive. This this digital chapter is really well done. I really like the art in this digital chapter as well. And I like that we have seen Wintergreen again because last time we saw him was in the Odyssey and he was uh, supposedly killed. I don't I don't think he was killed, but he, he's not on anymore, to say the least. And I, I really like that we got to see him again, but I also like that we see why Yelfei did end up switching sides, so to speak, and is now working for Fires, and why he has to be loyal to Fires. I, I did like that a lot, because we did get that explained a little bit in the actual uh, series, but I think this did a better job at explaining it. But at the same time, though, I mean, was this really necessary to show on, like, I guess in the comic it was alright, but I really thought that a lot of this was just exposition that the audience already knew about, or could figure it out. I agree, but I think it was helpful, at least it was for me, to see when Yaofei started working for Fires. Because when I was thinking about it, I didn't know when he started. I wasn't sure if him saving Oliver and Damaged was a front, if he was just acting, or if he really was saving Oliver. And it turns out he really was. It was after that, after that second fight with Wintergreen, that's when he started working for Fires. And I think that was actually helpful for me, and probably for some of the other audience as of when uh, the timeline matches up. I, I guess. I, I, I mean, I didn't hate this, like, digital issue, but I thought uh, this should have been done, like, before the height. This issue should have come out the before the height is when, or when um, Shadow first actually spoke for the first time. I think, I think it would have been better placed over there than this week. Probably. But, um, I don't know. That's just, that's just my thoughts about it. Jay, I, 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 I'm sure you probably haven't read the chapter, but I hope we gave you at least a little bit of insight into it. I was listening the whole time. I'm so, I'm so interested now. I mean, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. Nothing else, like, if the audience and Jay don't get that from this conversation, like, it's pretty self-explanatory, this issue. Like, just the way Michael said it, it's pretty much how it happened, right, Michael? Yeah, I mean, pretty much. And by the way, for all of those, all of uh, you not 
who don't buy the Arrow digital comics and only buy the print issues. Print issue 6 of Arrow came out last Wednesday. You can find that at your local comic store for, I believe, it is $2.99, if not $3.99. And that collects chapters 16 through 18 of the Arrow comic. Uh, one of the chapters is drawn by Mark, or Mark, Mike Grell, one of the best Green Arrow, not only artists, but writers of all time. So that's definitely up there. Definitely go check that out, guys. Mark Guggenheim and Andrew Kressberg write the chapters. Very good. Very good, very good indeed. So check that out at your old comic store, Arrow, print issue six. Um, we have some people to thank, not only Jay-Z Cost, I guess, we thank him for coming on our, our show. We would like to thank Nico Reifsek and Dan Schmidt, the creators of Across the Airwaves. And if you want, if you want to, please email us across the airwaves at gmail.com that is across the air the airwaves at gmail.com please specify longbow hunters if you want to talk to michael or i we also you can also contact us at the normal across the airwaves that's at across airwaves there's no the just at across airwaves michael's Twitter is at MJ Penny Seven. That is at MJ Penny Seven. Mine is at WSK nine zero zero two on Twitter. That's at WSK nine zero zero two on Twitter. Please specify that you listen to Rumble Hunters if you want either of us to follow you. We have a Google Plus page where I post a lot of trailers and a lot of news about DC Comics, Marvel Comics. Geek stuff in general. We also have a Facebook page where we do that. Michael, we also have an official Bombards um, Twitter. What is that, sir? That is at Arrow Podcast. Yes, you heard me right. At Arrow Podcast. And if you guys want, our, if you guys want your thoughts on Twitter, right on our show every week, like we did earlier with Lauren from TV Ever After and a few others. You can definitely tweet us at Arrow Podcast after you're watching the episode. Tweet us your thoughts. We will read those. We will favorite those and read them on air, just like we do with Jay's every week. Uh, but Jay, where, where can people find you on yep. the internet if they wanted to contact you? Uh, you know, I got Twitter also at J, at J underscore Z cost if you want to follow me. Uh, and it's pretty much it. I'm not really. I don't really have too much things so, on the <laughs> internet. It's all right, De- definitely, but. And you, but you also unlike have a fan Michael, fiction. Unlike Michael, who, unlike Michael, who's like, is like, um, was it Skynet on Skynet and Terminator? He's everywhere. He is everywhere. I'm everywhere, like, except Facebook. That's about it. And you can blame Dan Schmidt and Nico Weinstein for that. They've said that publicly. But we have one more way you can contact us. Our voicemail. What is that phone number, sir? Yes, that is 1773-809-3363. That is 1773-809-3363. That's actually probably a better way to get your voice heard on this podcast where you could call that number and leave your voicemail thoughts where we will play on air every week if you want to just tell us how we're doing, how Arrow's doing, what you enjoy about the show, what you don't enjoy about the show, any uh, you know, constructive criticism you can give it to us as well. So just definitely call that number, 1773-809-3363, and your voice will be heard on the series. So but I, I do have to mention yeah, this. You can even say you can even say why doesn't Michael and Boy do a revenge podcast? Because neither of us watch revenge, but what did 
did you want to say? What did you want to say, Michael? Oh, I, I was just going to say, we ha also have to plug this. On our website, on acrossareas.com, there are Warner Brothers shop ads now. And if you click on those shop ads, there's one for DC Entertainment at dccomics.com, the shop there. And there's also one for Warner Brothers where you can buy official Arrow merchandise. If you click on those ads on our website and buy anything that you, through that uh, ad you click, you're actually helping support not only Across the Airwaves as a whole, but Longbow Hunters, the Arrow Podcast, and Wu and I ourselves. So please, please definitely do that, guys. There's some great Arrow merchandise on there. There's great DC Comics, great Green Arrow stuff on there. You can find pretty much anything just by clicking the uh, the ad links on our site. So definitely check that out. All you have to do is go to our homepage at acrosstheairwaves.com and just click on an ad. Before we go, I and Michael, I forgot to thank our favorite logo creator. What is his name, sir? Yes, Chris, Christopher Wytrick. Thank you so much for our logo, man. Yes. He, it only took him, like, what, 45 minutes to get that done? That's so close, my man. I, I think it was, like, 45 minutes to draw the sketch and three hours total to complete everything. And we... And I want to... And before we go into this photos, I want to thank Mr. Blake Neely for getting back to me so so quickly. Thank you for your insight on the on the podcast this week. Thank you once again to our man, Jamesy Cost. And um, we are about to go into the spoilers. So, Michael. Yes, uh, so for our favorite Across Series hosts, Dan Schmidt, Nico Reifstech, and Andy Babak, I'm Michael J. Petty. I am Paul, otherwise known as Kid. I am Jay And until the next week, yeah, until the next week, I'm still there, guys. I'm going to see you next week. We'll catch you on the airwaves. We'll see you next week. Thanks, guys, for joining us.
The village must be destroyed in order to save it. Feels really good having you inside my ear. Stay focused, please. You're gonna get really upset when you meet my partner. Marriage never miss. I don't. The official description for episode 21 of Arrow, The Undertaking, reads, With a lead on Walter's whereabouts, Oliver gambles on Felicity in the field. Finding it difficult to mend fences with Tommy and Diggle, Oliver instead focuses on crossing other another name off the list. While digging through crook, Crooked Accountant's laptop, Felicity discovers a transaction that could help Oliver find Walter. To confirm the lead, Oliver gambles that Felicity can be counted on in the field for the first time. In a flashback, Malcolm reveals to Robert Queen and Frank Chen painful details surrounding his wife's murder and how that shaped his plans with the Glades. Meanwhile, Tommy stuns Laurel with the truth. Willa Holland and Susanna, Susanna Thompson also star. Michael Schultz directed the episode, written by Jack Coburn and Lana Cho. That writing team, um, I, I think it's the writing team other than the creators, right? Yeah, that that's one of the big ones, too. Definitely, and then Wendy, yeah. Wendy Mercil, Drewzy Greenberg, and the guys who wrote uh, tonight's episode, they are the main, they are like the four main writing teams on this series. Yeah, um, first thing I have to th- say off the top of my head, tell Laurel the truth. I, yeah. It doesn't mean what we think it means. I think. You think it, you think it means Oliver's truth? We think that, we think that, but, you know, they haven't set any rules on this show about that kind of stuff. True. I don't know. This episode is really going to be huge. First of all, it's called The Undertaking. Second of all, we have Robert Queen, Walter Steele, Malcolm Merlin, and Frank Chen all in this episode. And then we have Felicity in the field. We have have Robert Queen and Malcolm Merlin in the the scene together. Finally. Like, that's all you need to say to me. Because, quite honestly, I don't really care about Walter compared to Robert Queen. Because we only saw him in the pilot. Robert? And I guess in and I guess in the Royal Flush Gang episode, but that was not actually Robert Queen, that was just a projection of Robert Queen. Yes, Legacy is still probably my favorite one so far. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be really interesting because this is the first time we're going to have a flashback that is before the island. Are we even going to have the island in this episode? I don't know if we will. I think the island will be on the episode know, afterwards. I don't think it's needed, quite honestly, in this one. No. no. I'm just saying, I think we might have, we maybe might have a scene or two, but I don't think it will be too much, if any. Because, because this thing looks loaded. I don't know if they could fit the island in there. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they can, because there's so much. Like, we see in the trailer, we see Felicity and Diggle have a scene. Obviously, Felicity's in the field. We see Tommy and Laurel having something. Obviously, there's the flash, the big flashback stuff. And we're going to see Oliver and Hood again fighting some bad guys. So, I mean, there's a lot going on. Yeah. I don't think they can fit the island. I think you're right. Yeah. This is one of those instances, like, like with, um, 
Well, not so much with um, Use of Fire, with the debut of um, Huntress, but in this instance, there really is no room for the island at all. Yeah. And that's a first, really, and, besides Muse of Fire. And really, for Muse of Fire, I think it was just, a, just a, the sense of, like, you know, this is the heart of the episode, let's stick with this, because we really don't have to go, we don't really have to go to the island. With this, I don't think there's any room. Which yeah. I think is why they let this at such a cliffhanger this week. Yeah. Well, I mean... Kind of a cheesy, kind of a cheesy sound effect with all the register clicking in the background, I have to say, for the teaser. Yeah. Yeah, that's a bit campy, but... I mean, even in Jeff Johns' episode, Dead to Rights, which was huge for the series... I mean, even in that episode, there were flashbacks. So, I don't know. I have, um, I have a... I have a question. Oh, wait. Jay, you had something to say? No, I'm just saying, the island stuff, yes or no, that can go either way. Having it, oh. having it or not. Here's something that I really want to get out there before before we have to end the, the um, spoilers. Are we going to have more... more um, in Malcolm Merlin's plans, are we going to get more references to Nana Parpet? Because it happens after the wife's murder, I would think so, yeah. Okay, if continuity, is this Malcolm Merlin who just came back from Nana Parvet? I think so. Not before, right? I think this is after, yes. I, I, met, I met a man named Merlin Shoku. No, I know, I know it's not coming. I, the demon's head. Yeah, I mean, you could... Definitely hear the demon's head. I don't know if you'll hear Rachel Ghoul, but you could definitely hear the demon's head. I am not ruling that out. Here's the thing. And here's the thing. You can't have League of Shadows, so to speak, without Talia or Rachel Ghoul. Well, and the thing is, too, the episode after this episode, we have two big DC comic re- references in it. First of all, Ferris Air, which all of you Green Lantern fans will know. And second of all, Geoforce is going to be in the episode. Who's going to be in the episode? Geoforce, Brian Markov of Markovia. Oh, I've heard the character, but I don't know much of his history. He is is Terra's brother from the Teen Titans. Oh, okay. He's her older brother. Basically has the same power set, but I don't know if they're going to give him powers in this. They probably won't, but he could could still be big. And here's the thing that I forgot to mention in the digital chapter. Fires mentions the benefactor, who I still think is Roger Cole. Possibly. Yes. I mean, they can do. I mean, they can do like a like a little reference on it, like say, I don't know, like don't upset the demon or something like that. Yes. I like that actually. Because here's, because here's the, the, the thing that I that really got me on this. Well, I I was already hoping for Rachel Gould, but even even before Rachel Gould, before they mentioned this in the show, isn't he never said none of our pet? I would have just let it go. But since they said it, but like I told you, Wu, Nana Pat is run by the Sensei. It's not even run by Rachel Gould. 
close enough for me, man. It's close <laughs> enough for me. <laughs> Isn't there some, like, um, stuff going on, like, uh, they know about the rights to Cherry Shagul? I mean, and I, I read something about that. Because of the Dark Knight movies? Yeah, because of Dark Knight. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 that's probably done with now, only because Dark Knight Rises is over. But, I, because I know they're using Rachel yeah. Ghoul as one of the yeah, main enemies like, on Beware the Batman. Yeah, because whatever they're going to do with Batman next in live action for the Justice League, if it then ever gets, like, taken off the grid, it's going to have nothing to do with Nolan's stuff. Which still perplexes me, like, Nolan's going to be involved in this, but it's not going to be his Batman. Fine by me. But doesn't that sound weird to both you guys? It sounds weird, but I don't have a problem with it. I know, I, I know you, that doesn't bother you because we've talk, talked about this off microphone and maybe one day if we do a DC Nation on this, like, for uh, the Justice League, if that's ever announced officially. But it does sound weird. It's like you have, you have, um, Jeff Johns here, but we're going to do... Um, Mark Wade Superman? Or we're going to do Green Lantern without Jeff Johns? Exactly. I mean, no matter how you feel about, about um, um, Christian Bell's Batman or Nolan's Batman with Goyer, Goyer, Goyer the, the rumor is Goyer is going to be writing this script for Justice League, Justice League of America, and Nolan's going to be involved in it a little too, but it's not going to have any, like, any remnants of the Batman they created. I don't know. Which is, un which is unheard of, like, one guy does a superhero movie, then he reinvents his own character again? When has that ever happened? If Goyer writes it, I don't, I'm not convinced he will, but that's beside the point. We're pretty much done with spoilers here. Anything else you guys have to say about The Undertaking before we go? Yeah, sorry, yeah, sorry that I got off on a little bit. That's, to say that a lot and even thinking that it was just really, like, really perplexing to me, but no, I'm, I, I can't believe we're already at the end of the season, Michael. I know. Episode 21 is next week, then 22, then the finale. God. And we have a clear run. We don't have any breaks in between, so that'll be fun. No, no, we're done with hiatuses. <laughs> yeah. Hiatuses have failed not only this podcast, but Arrow itself. Okay, here's the thing with the hiatuses before we go. Very well placed for our first season. Yes. Very well placed. They may have been a little long in some areas, but very well placed. I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, I, I can't believe that we're almost, like, at the end of... It feels like yesterday that we just started this thing, and here we are at the end of the season. Yeah, it's kind of nuts. It's kind of definitely nuts. Yeah. But, but anyway, anyway, thanks, guys, for... Anyway, say, looking forward to next week. Yep, absolutely. Thanks, guys, for listening. We'll see you next week. Jay, thanks again so much for joining us. Yeah, it was great, man. I had a great time. All right, Bye, guys. cool. See you guys. See you next week. See ya. Bye.